Welcome to the Hyperfast Wealth Show. On today's episode, we've got a special guest. He is a partner at the Gibbs Giddin Law Firm. He specializes in putting together the contracts and investment groups, syndicates, partnerships for all sorts of real estate deals, commercial and residential. Welcome to the show, Jeff Love. Welcome to the Hyperfast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyperfast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyperfast. All right. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks for being on here. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And so just so our listeners know, you're coming today. We're on Zoom. I'm, I'm, on, on, I'm on the East Coast over in Florida and you are uh, over on the West Coast, correct? I am in, at least today, sunny Southern California, Redondo Beach, actually, from my, my, my new home office. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, everyone uh, is getting accustomed to the, the Zoom life. Uh, that's just the, the world we are in. So uh, it's been exciting to, to you know, get to connect with a whole bunch of people on, on Zoom the last few months. And I'm excited today to have you on the Hyperfast Wealth Show to talk to uh, investors and agents. I know you, you bring a, a, a wealth of knowledge and a very diverse background helping put together deals. But uh, before we jump into all of that good stuff, I'll, I'll let you just... Uh, introduce yourself quickly to uh, to our audience here. Sure. So you heard my name, Jeff Love. I am a partner at the law firm Gibbs Giddin. Uh, we're West Coast, Southern California based, where I am a transactional partner focusing on real estate, corporate and securities law. We really help investors, developers, entrepreneurs throughout the lifespan of a real estate project from acquisitions to dispositions, leasing, syndicating deals, financing, as well as related corporate transactions, forming complex partnerships, operating agreements, as well as eventual m and transactions, specifically in the real estate space. Yeah, and that's, um, you know, not, not all uh, agents, um, I think, take, take advantage of working with investors. Why, why do you, why do you think that is? You think they just haven't put the time in or, or um, they're just unfamiliar because you threw around a lot of terms that you know, I'm sure investors like know it like the back of their hand, but agents, some agents anyway, if they haven't worked with investors might be uh, a little uh, confused, if you will. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons. I mean, especially with agents, there's, you typically have your, your residential or commercial. And while I, I know many that go, dab in, in both sides, you may know one area more than the other. You may focus on a particular asset, retail or industrial properties, and may not know the single family markets. But there is crossover, especially with multifamily. A lot of single you know, single residents, you may go into duplex, you may go into triplexes, and it, with it, without knowing that area, you may be leaving potential clients, um, you, know, you may not be able to address them, you may be leaving potential work on the table. But it is important, I really think, especially with the agents that we deal with, is to understand the market that you are working in, whether you are going to focus specifically on single family homes or small multifamily properties 
that you know the area, you know the industry, so you're able to properly advise those real estate investors or your potential clients. And what, what some of the things that uh, real estate investors or agents that maybe have a background in, you know, single family or, you know, duplexes or, or smaller, you know, number of units, like what are some of the things that they need to think about when they start to get into this, this larger space, either multifamily or, 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 you know, bigger commercial deals, like what kind of things do they need to look at, at the deals? And then from like a legal uh, perspective as well. One of the first things is to kind of understand that when you're dealing with an investor rather than a homeowner that's going to live in the property is it's an investment. So now we're just not looking whether we like the, the you know, like the, the fixtures in, in it, the house appeals to us. We like the feng shui of the house. You're buying it for an investment. So you're looking more at, at cash flow. You're looking at potential appreciation. What, what type of tenants are you going to be able to attract? What type of financing is it if there's available? If it's less than four units, you're really dealing with residential paper versus five and above. Now you're in a commercial loan, which means no more 30 year fixed mortgages, still great rates, but a different type of loan you're getting. So really understanding that and being able to understand cash flow. If I have, you know, if I'm talking about a quadruplex, I have four units, I'm getting cash flow from each unit. How does that correlate into the price? And one of the things you'll hear a lot about with investors is cap rate, which is your capitalization rate, which is a formula derived based on the net income of the property related to the purchase price. And that's one metric that real estate investors can use to compare potential properties. So you'll really want to start getting into not the lingo, but understanding these metrics and formulas that real estate investors use to be able to compare competing properties, because it's not, you know, it's not necessarily that the size of the property or the location, while still very important, it's more, what's my cash flow? What are these using rent, renting for? What's my you know, yearly appreciation or my increase in, in rent from a, one year to the next? What, what are some of the biggest pitfalls that you see people make uh, when they're when they're looking at commercial deals or multifamily deals? It's I, I think on the same point, it's just it's not understanding the market. It's we get we get so many first time investors, not just in multifamily, but real estate investors in general, whether you're buying an industrial office condo, a shopping center, an office building is you, you really need to kind of understand what you're doing and. People see a lot, you know, especially uh, example, you know, flipping a home, you know, that that's single back to single family homes, but you're doing it for an, an investment to profit. And you'll, you'll watch shows like HGTV and you'll see how it seems so easy to, to, to flip these homes and make this investment. And we'll get clients that have done it and run into problems because they didn't underwrite it properly. They didn't budget how long it really takes to get the contractor out there to do the work. And then they didn't underwrite, well, I have a loan, so I need to budget those carrying costs and the opportunity cost of my capital. We've had a lot of investors you know, lose money because they didn't understand it and really didn't look at it from this bird's eye perspective to understand everything that goes into it. It's a, you know, it's a business, really understanding that process and also understanding you know, 
not just from an investor's standpoint, but when you're doing construction is understanding how to have oversight over a contractor to make sure everything is done and completed on time. Yeah, those are, those are all like great, great points. I think people might, 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 might miss if they've, if they don't have experience in it yet. So um, what, what are the best ways that people can learn how to not miss out on, on these calculations or these, um, you know, costs that they might not know of, right? I, th I think it's. Yeah, it's, well, one of them is, is doing what your listeners are doing right now. You're, li you're listening to podcasts, you're educating yourself is really, you know, learn. It's it, it part, you know, before you actually get the hands-on experience, it's getting that education and it's under understanding what you're doing. So, you know, listening to a podcast like this where you're understanding, you know, I, I need to be on top of my contractor. I need to understand these rates as an agent talking maybe to fellow agents that are in that multifamily space and seeing, you know, what, what they know to learn from them. And well, one substitute, you know, in the takeaways, you know, it, it's never bad to team up with someone that has that experience. You know, if you're, an, if you're an agent, maybe there's another agent that you can team up with that has done multifamily and you're sharing that commission on that specific deal. And you're kind of, kind of learning as you go. And yes, you're, you're sharing some of that, that commission but you're getting that invaluable expertise. And after doing that a few times, you're kind of learning and getting into that field. Just as how we, how we all kind of get started. As an attorney, you know, I, I can't go off and start advising clients. It's taking you know, years going through law school and learning about the law and how to negotiate certain contracts and know what's missing. Is That's kind of teaming up and learning from, from other attorneys that have done it in the past. The same type of thing. And, same goes through real estate investors too. You know, rather than jumping off into the deep end, maybe you're able to put up some capital and partner up with an experienced operator that's done it a few times and you share some of that profit in exchange, you're learning from them and gaining that hands-on experience, which is really invaluable because there's only so much you can learn from the education and listening and understanding it. You're always going to run into some type of, of roadblock when you're actually doing the work and you're getting your hands dirty. And that's that's a big part of what you do, right? Like helping to put these these groups together that might take down a, a big project. Because when you look at all the things that go into a project, like estimating the cost, operating procedures, you know, finding the deal, the capital, like there's there's a lot of stuff in there. That, that needs to happen for it to go well. So I imagine a lot of times, uh, you know, that there may be several people that are good at like one aspect of, 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 of the whole spectrum there. Like one guy might have the capital, but not have access to the great deals. You know, another guy might know where the deals are and be great operating, but not necessarily have the capital. Right. So a big part of what you do is, is put together uh, different, different types of, and agreements and partnerships, correct? You, you got it. And you said it kind of perfectly is one of the first things I think I tell you know, new real estate investors and really anyone in the real estate area is, is having you, your team in place. And what I mean by that is, you know, you know Jeff, I'm a new real estate investor, but, you know, I may not know the, the area that I want to buy in. I, I know that I want to start investing. I've got this capital. Well, now I got to find a great agent that really knows the market and that may be able to source off market deals for me. And that's able to help me negotiate that deal. So I want to get my agent in place. Do I have a good insurance broker? 
I don't want an Amazon package to be delivered or a contractor step on my property and not have the adequate insurance or buy a duplex and my tenant has a party and someone slips and falls and now I'm facing a $5 million lawsuit and my property's at risk. So having a good insurance broker that can make sure I have the adequate coverages and I have an umbrella so the premiums I'm paying are you know, right for the insurance coverage that I need. Maybe have a great accountant because there's no substitute for, I don't want to leave money on the table for Uncle Sam. I want to make sure that I'm taking all the property deductions. If I have a big property, maybe I want a cost segregation expert that can help me depreciate things faster so I, I can keep more money in my pocket today. I want to, you know, maybe a good attorney that can help me prepare these documents. Um, so really this team in place, and a lot of times we'll see, you know, someone's trying to do everything themselves and there, there's no shame in saying, I can't know everything. Even as a real estate attorney, there are questions that I don't know. You know I'm not a tax attorney. I need to bounce things off a tax consultant or I mean, an environmental attorney. So knowing what you don't know is one of the hardest things, but having that team in place allows you to bounce these ideas off of other people. Um, and part of what we do, especially, you know, as you mentioned, someone's buying a 10 unit apartment building and they don't have all the capital in place. So they may go out and solicit investors and we will help them document that and make sure they've complied with all the securities laws, that they have the proper entity in place. So their liability is limited and making sure that any returns that they've pitched to their investors, that they're able to properly document that and their partnership agreement. So if Dan and I, if we were to buy a building together with a third investor and we promised him a 10% return, I'm able to go through that operating agreement and make sure it reflects the client's intentions to make sure that everyone is, is going to get what, what they're promised as long as the real estate investment goes well. And having that from the outset, it really starts you on the right path. Instead of jumping in, trying to fix things later, you've really got all your ducks in a row from the outset of the project, which hopefully keeps you smooth sailing. And, you know, as I said, there's always roadblocks, but the more you can really get aligned and on the right track from the outset, it just makes it an easier process and helps you get to a smoother result at the end. Yeah, what what do you uh, what do you think are some of the, the the things to look for when you know let's say you're an agent or an investor you find a great deal and you start to find some of the the team members and investors maybe like what do you what what are what are some of the things that you know you you need to look for when you put together your your entity or your agreement. With putting together the agreement, you really want to make sure you have the right structure in place. You know, without, without being familiar with it, there's a lot of different entities out there. You've heard of corporations, you've probably heard of LLCs or partnerships, but each one has its pros and cons. And for real estate investment, uh, there's a thing called pa uh, pass-through taxation. And what that means is unlike your C corporation, which is being taxed twice, and that means the corporation has to pay a tell level of tax and then when dividends go through your investors, you're paying a second level of tax. Just like if you were to say, own part of Apple. Apple's paying their corporate tax. And then when you get dividends, you're paying for that. But real estate investment, that can really eat up some of your cash flow. So most real estate investments, you're holding it. If in, if in an entity, it's going to be an LLC or a limited partnership where you have that pass-through taxation. So you're right off the bat, you're saving money on taxes. So I think understanding the entity and really from this kind of bird's eye view, what's the intention for this project? 
if we're creating a real estate, if we're going to be a real estate investor and maybe we partner up with someone, is this, is this a, th a three-year investment? Are we going to hold this for five years? Is, are we holding this property for our, our kids? What's kind of the exit plan for these assets? Even if it's just Dan and Jeff as a partnership, maybe you want to retire in five years and I've got 30 years on the horizon is making sure we're aligned. And then the flip side is making sure your investors are on that same page. It's easy when you have one or two, but if you're starting to get into bigger deals and you've got 10 investors, they want an idea of the lifespan of this project. Am I getting my money back in three years or five years or seven years so that they can plan and use that money for other things? Um, so I think the main point there is just think about the project and whatever you're doing, whether it's an agent or an investor from kind of that bird's eye view and kind of plan out the life of the project and your exit so that everyone's on the same page from the beginning. Yeah, I know uh, we, we were talking bef before the show and, and one of the things you, you mentioned is, um, you know, if, if you do bring on partners, right, it's, it's very possible that you, your, your timelines might be different either, either from the set like it's planned like like you kind of mentioned or you know some people's situations can change life events divorce death all, all sorts of things what what are what are the ways that you potentially deal with that if if, if you or your investors timelines change and and diverge over the course of the project there are several different ways if it's an investor a lot of times you may leave it may not be a requirement that you redeem that investor's equity but if we had an investor in our Dan and Jeff project, they say, you know, I, I've had this life event, I need to move. One of the things that we could do is go out and try to find a, another third party investor to take their place. We can redeem our current investor and replace them. Another thing that you, you may see a lot is called a buy-sell agreement. And that's if you know, Dan and Jeff, we had our real estate company and we were going out raising money from investors and something happened to Jeff, you know, Jeff passed away you may not want to be in business with my wife or my kids. So you want to be able to take my equity out of the company. And that's what a buy sell does is it lays out certain specified events. And upon the occurrence of those events, you may have to purchase the equity of your partner. So someone dies, the company's required to repurchase their equity, whether immediately or over time, or if someone's disabled or someone wants to go travel the, the world or the country, these events are triggering and you've, Kind of agree to them up front almost like a prenup you know if something happens this is what everyone gets and this is what's going to happen that way five years ten years if something changes we're not fighting over it and have a big dispute um it's kind of it that's the prenup so when you have that eventual business divorce even if it's it's civil everyone knows exactly what's going to happen yeah no i i think uh the more the more planning you do ahead of time the better. And I think it's, it's, it's something people maybe skip over sometimes, or they just assume, you know, nothing, nothing bad will happen or everything will always follow this course. But, you know, we all know at least people that have been in the business long enough that, you know, things, things change and unexpected things pop up. So, you know, any, anytime you can try to thoughtfully plan that for, for, for those contingencies in the beginning, you know, it's, it, going to be an ounce of prevention and, and, a, and a pound of, of, of cure kind of equation there. And it works for agents too. I mean, we, I have a lot of, you know, 
smaller residential brokerages as clients. And a lot of the ownership it may not be one person, maybe two or three partners that started on it. Or as it grows, I'm bringing on an investor to grow and expand through a different market. And that planning really, it's not just real estate investment, but brokerage as well is, you know, we're, it's a business. It may be focused on real estate and selling, but what happens if there's a, if there's a you know, dispute between the two business partners and in my area, what if someone wants to expand down to San Diego and the other person is, is happy staying in LA? Well, if it's 50-50 ownership, how do we resolve that? So part of that planning is dealing with my business and my you know, eventual exit, whether, as we talked about, whether it's a death or divorce through a buy-sell or it's just a disagreement between owners that may own this business or this team 50-50 and there's real value and you know equity there, we want to be able to resolve that you know especially you know we don't want to disrupt the business by fighting over it we don't want to pay you know a litigation attorney to have to fight and, and waste his money we want to really be able to plan for it up front if we can it, it helps our business and ensures that continuity and, and growth yeah you gotta you gotta set up your 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 business entities in the beginning with these contingency plans in place hey hold that thought for a minute do you have a client that needs to buy or sell a home in the DMV area? Then why not trust the highest selling team in the DMV, the Kerry Scholl team? We've helped thousands of buyers and sellers and would love to help your clients. And we guarantee we will save them time, money, and stress throughout the process. And they will be so grateful that you referred them to us. Go to kerryscholl.com to learn more. Again, that's kerryscholl.com to learn more about sending us your clients that need to buy or sell a home in the DMV area. That's kerryshull.com. What, what about the purchase agreement itself? Like that's, that's going to be a lot different. I think the, the purchase agreement, the negotiations, like how, how is that different than your typical single family home? And what do, what do people need to look at, look for when they're actually putting together the offer, the, the LOI, the contracts and, and negotiating. They're, they're completely different animals. You know, I'll give California as an example. We use our California Association of Realtors form, you know, kind of form document. And as an agent, not licensed to practice law, we don't really want to monkey around with the agreement because we don't want to foul that restriction. So as an agent, we're kind of filling in the blanks, property, property name, price, basic terms. When you really get into a commercial purchase, Sometimes you have form agreements, but a lot of times your, you know, your seller or buyer's attorney is going to draft this 30, 40 page word document. And as the agent, you know, you want to be able to understand it so you can help guide your client, but you, you want to be careful of that gray area. You don't want to advise them too much as to certain provisions because you don't want the liability, you know, not just the fact that you're not licensed to practice law, but if I tell my client one thing and it turns out not to be true, I don't want the liability from that. So my job was to put the parties together, guide you through diligence. But that said, it helps to have a basic understanding of, of these agreements. And one of the big things you'll see in bigger commercial deals that you may not as much in residential is a limitation of liability. And what that is, is the seller is saying, buyer, you do your own due diligence. You're going to be happy with this property if you, by the time you waive your contingencies. If you close... I have this limit on liability, whatever it is, two, three, four, 10% of the purchase price. Anything above that, 
you don't have a claim against me. And the only thing that I'm representing are my written representations and warranties in this purchase agreement. So something my broker told you, I'm not liable for that. Something you heard from a consultant, I'm not liable. I'm liable for these reps. And what the representations may say is, to my knowledge, I'm not aware of any environmental contamination. I'm not aware of any breach by the tenant. I have the authority to enter into this, this transaction. Certain kind of fundamental representations about the seller's knowledge. And that's an important thing for both sides because the seller, with any seller, when I sell it, I want to either be able to exchange into another property. I want to cash out and walk away. I don't want this lingering liability hanging over my head. So I may also put in a time period. If you don't sue me within 12 months, you waive the claims. The flip side, if I'm the buyer, I want to have as much protection as possible. So beyond doing my own due diligence, I want to push to extend these time periods. I want to get as many reps and as broader reps as I can. So that's probably one of the biggest areas of negotiation in commercial deals is kind of the friction between the seller and the buyer with these, these reps and the knowledge of the property. And that's why due diligence is so important. And you know, in California, our residential standard, at least in the car form, is 17 days. But for commercial deals, you'll often see 21, 30, 45, 60 days to do this due diligence because you're not just going and seeing if you like the property. You're, you might have to get in and see tenant units. You may be doing a phase one environmental assessment. You may be getting a survey of the property. So it's a lot more work and documents and due diligence to review. So you actually, you want that time period. So when you're negotiating commercial deals, the LOI is important because that's when you're really, typically you're not just submitting the, the, the purchase agreement. You're doing an LOI, especially with bigger deals, where I'm outlining what's my due diligence period. What's my closing after that? Seller, what documents are you going to give me to review? Other important kind of items like that. Do you have a phase one that you're, that you're going to give to me to make sure everyone's on the same page before you go and have this big purchase agreement drafted? What, what are some of the things that people should look for when they're, when they're thinking about their due diligence? You, you mentioned uh, a number already, but is there, is there anything else that you think uh, stands what the, out? One of the big items, and we're seeing, you know, you see, a, you see a fair amount of pushback depending on the size of the property is what's called an estoppel certificate. And even on smaller deals, even a, you know, a multifamily deal, a commercial deal, you know, um, even a single family home that may be tenant occupied is what that is, is it's a certificate that the tenant signs and it says, this is my, my lease is what it is. Here's my lease. I paid rent through this month. I have a $5,000 security deposit. I don't know of any defaults on the landlord's part. I don't have there no first refusal or I don't have the right to buy the property. And why that's important is it, it stops, it hence the name, it stops the tenant from denying what they're saying. So if the tenant tells me that they have one year left on the term, they can't come and tell me later in six months, hey, the landlord actually promised me I had five years on my term and I only have to pay a hundred dollars a month in rent. Is it paper? You said. No, you represented it there. You can't deny that. And what a lot of investors and agents don't understand is it's really important to get it from the tenant because if you don't, you may have the seller sign it in their, in their stead, but then you have a claim against the seller instead of the tenant. And as many sellers do, once they sell, they may take the money out of the entity 
they may go invest it somewhere else. Now you're having to chase down the seller for the money and you're still stuck with that tenant paying $100 a month for five years. So it's important to realize that the value of some of these documents that you can get in your due diligence period, whether it's a single family home with a tenant or it's a 500 unit apartment building and how many of these estoppel certificates can I get in the timeline that I need to be able to get them. Another quickly related item to that is what's called a subordination non-disturbance and atonement agreement. You may have heard it's an SBNA. And what that does is with your lender, lenders are almost always going to require them because depending on the size of the tenant and the type of the property, because the lender wants to be in first position in terms of priority of their lien. So if you don't pay them their mortgage, they can foreclose and they can take the property. But a lot of times you'll have a lease already in place and the, lenit, the, the, the lender, when they come in, they're going to be subordinated to that tenant. So what they say is, owner of the property, you need to have your tenant and you need to sign this subordination agreement. So the tenant is going to be in a lower priority in terms of, of, of me, lender, and the title records. And a lot of times tenants may not be required to sign it under the terms of their lease. They may have 20 days to sign it. So when you're looking at these contingency periods, you want to be aware of what the tenant's rights are so you don't waive contingencies. And now you're up against this closing date and your seller is saying, I'm not giving you more time. And now you're between that rock and a hard place where your money is hard, uh, but you don't have all the documents or you may not have your financing lined up ready to close. Yeah. I mean, in general, it's, there's just a lot more to to look at and a lot more to, to, to examine. So you need to allow for, for more time and, and just know that you're, you're going to have to put in a little bit more work up front than your typical residential deal. It's just kind of the nature of what it is. They're, they're different. They may be, you know, the, the price not be, may be higher, maybe not, but you have, you know, you have two tenants. There's other things that go into it. Um, and then you have similar concerns too, you know, as an agent, you, you may not have to, client may not ask you, but you know, for, almost you know, universally, you kind of want to get title insurance. You know, do you understand what the title report is? And if your client asks you a question, you can always say, you know, you can talk to your lawyer, but having that basic understanding of what a title report is, you know, what exceptions mean, what endorsements are. So you're able to sound knowledgeable to your client. A lot of times when we get involved as attorneys in residential transactions, at least in California, is there may be something unique. There may be a coastal property in Malibu that has 10 different easements and the, the, the buyer wants to understand what are my rights to use these? What are my neighbor's rights? Uh, there's this tree that's over the boundary line. I don't like the tree. I, I, want, I want to put uh, a cabana there for my pool. What are my rights of that? What, what do I do with these encroachments on these properties? So really being able to understand this as an agent or as the aging you have your own team in place. So if your client says, hey, do you know the answer to this? And you say, no, and I don't want the liability, but hey, I've got this great attorney or environmental consultant or insurance broker that you can connect them with because then it makes you look good to your client and you're helping the client and you're helping yourself by get, help moving the deal forward and helping it move towards a close because you're getting through these issues. Yeah, knowing, knowing who to go to rather than the answer itself is sometimes better in these situations. And, and it goes back to that discussion up front. Like you've got to put together a team of experts and, and 
they're going to, you know, that's, that's the group that's going to help you get through the due diligence, making sure you're not getting into a bad project or getting surprised later by something you weren't anticipating. What are some things people can do to negotiate the best possible terms? Because I know this, again, may be an area that is different from purely residential because it's more investment driven, more quote unquote logic driven than your typical single family home purchase. So what are, what are the, the differences in how deals are negotiated and what can people do to make sure they're getting the best possible uh, financial and other terms as well? Part of it, I think, is just being experienced in that area. And one of the, the main differences, you know, just from the outset is with a, a commercial property, you may not even be inside to see it. It may be tenant, tenant occupied, so you're making this offer sight unseen. So I think it's one of it is, is understanding the financials and the market. So if you see a property that's listed at a 3% cap rate, again, based on the income and price, but a property on the street or the next neighborhood over that's similar in all aspects is listed at a 5% cap rate, understanding that you're as the agent or the investor are able to go to the seller and say, look, you're overpriced because of this way. Now, I, I don't care that you have fancy black paint on your property. You know, tenant's going to pay what a tenant's going to pay, and your cash flow and the income is less than this similar property. You shouldn't be at two million dollars. You should be at one point five, and that's why that's how I'm justifying the, that offer. And let them go to their client and investor and really start the negotiations that way, because it's it's not as much of a you know part of it may be a comparable approach. But also, you know, what you're really looking at is what's the what's the cash flow and what's the intent of these tenants to stay, and are there increases in rent? Because if the house next door increases because the neighborhood does, it doesn't necessarily mean that my invested property is going to increase the same rate if my rents are stagnant. So really understanding when you're making the offer, are you know have you looked at the leases or have the Offering memorandum, which you'll often see with commercial properties, does that show bumps in rental income so that I know that my property is going to increase on a yearly basis? So when you're making that offer and negotiating it, you have that kind of ammunition to use to justify if you're coming in at a lower asking price to be able to you know come to terms with both sides. And do you do you typically see more? negotiation and, and we'll call it like balance of buyers to sellers uh, than you sometimes do in the residential market. Cause in a lot of places right now, we're just the residential market, you're seeing a lot more buyers than sellers. So it's, it's kind of this bidding war and, you know, negotiations aren't even like even possible, right? If you have like 10 people making an offer on something. So in, in this world right now in the market, uh, you know, what's, what's the environment like? It's less competitive than, you know, residential. I have a client that's a broker and listing a house and, uh, it was in Long Beach and they had 41 offers last week <laughs> to your point. So it's, it's becoming a seller residential market but with commercial property, especially depending on the type. Uh, we have a big office building in downtown LA and it was valued by the company about $750 million the end of 2019. They just sold it for about 450. So several hundred million dollars off, but that's, you know, looking at what the asset is, it's office. 
you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Many firms are thinking they need less office space. It's an uncertain future. So they were able, you know, that buyer was really able to take account into, into that and get this lower price. But with more stable assets like multifamily, it's closer to the single family residence. There aren't as few assets, it's less of a negotiation, but you still have competing forces. Throughout most of the country, we've had rent moratoriums where you can't evict tenants even if they're not paying. In LA County, it's still in place and tenants have 12 months to pay back this rent, which is you know really difficult for landlords. Many states, including California, is now instituting types of rent control. So all of these have competing factors you may not see in the single family homes. And those are making it more, you know, kind of evening the balance where it's not all a seller's market. Buyers have a good say too. So to your original question is, I think it's more of a balance of power between buyers and sellers. You know, there are fewer assets the group people are selling, but there are things that are pushing down prices and making buyers uncertain and sellers have to justify their pricing to the buyers to be able to get those deals done. So you're, you're going to have more room to, to find ways to negotiate. And it, 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 it sounds like the key really is like, like you said, if, if something's at a three cap, but you see other things selling for a five, it's just finding the data and, and being able to logically and, and, and kind of in a non emotionally way, just, just make your case of why the, you know, the facts that you've looked at kind of, kind of point to the, your offer price. And that a lot of it too, as you said, you know, non-emotional is it's commercial. It's, you know, it's, it's money. It's, it's a business. You don't have that emotional attachment where you or your spouse well, fell. I, I love the master bath and I, I love that backyard and our kids are going to play there. You know, I'm willing to pay more because we have to have this house. We're going to live there. If it may be a great deal, but if there's a you know bidding war on a commercial asset, it becomes not as much of a great deal. And you may, you may love the location and like that trophy asset, but when you're not, when you're not emotional and think about it, it's a business, it's an investment, just like if I was buying equities in a stock exchange. So you're able to take that part out of it. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't pencil, then you move on to the next one. So it, it is a little bit different than the residential part and agents often, you know, one thing that they need to understand that is, you know, it's not the person living in the house, it's an investment. So if it doesn't work, you kind of move on to the next one and not, you know, don't push your clients to go forward with it because it's business and it's got to make financial sense. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's one of the key, uh, the key differences. Uh, Jeff, we've got, we've got to wrap up in a second, but before we do, I want to do the hyper fast round. If you are ready, I'm ready. All right, so just some rapid fire questions and answers. First one, what's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate investor? I think we hit it over the head today. It's get your team in place before you jump into the deal. All right, what's what's uh, something you see a lot of investors do that that are successful that ones that are not successful don't do? They learn from their mistakes. There's no substitute, there's no problem making a mistake. It happens to the, the best and most successful investors. The ones that aren't successful don't learn from that mistake and repeat it over and over again. What do you think is gonna be most different about 2021 than 2020 in, the, uh, in, in your market? 
we're going to start seeing a lot of depressed assets. And I don't think the recession in real estate has really fully hit us yet. We're being propped up by the government. Once that starts to go away and you see these waves of evictions and bankruptcies, foreclosures, you're going to start seeing depressed assets and uh, shrewd investors taking advantage of those. What's something that you think an experienced investor sometimes overlooks or, uh, you know, or a mistake that they make that they, that, that they can prevent, but, but sometimes, you know, it happens more to experienced investors. Getting too complacent is, you know, not looking at the, at, at the, you know, with everything with the fine tooth or you know, in, in super detail. I've, I've done it a thousand times. I don't need to look at this, this lease. I, I know what it says. I know what the purchase agreement says, but then you misalign and you forgot to send your notice by certified mail and you emailed it and now your notice isn't sufficient and you just, you just waived contingencies when you didn't mean to. Okay. When you're not working uh, on a deal or, or uh, putting together uh, an investment group, uh, where would we find you? What would you be doing? I am probably laying by a beach. Uh, we missed <laughs> our trip to Maui a couple months ago. So I'm looking forward to taking my, my two and four year old back there when we can. Aren't we all? Um, last one, where do you see yourself in five years? Hopefully the same place. I've got a great group of partners, a great group of clients. So continuing to build my practice and helping real estate investors across the country uh, take down more and bigger and better deals. All right. Thanks for, uh, for playing along with the Hyperfast round. Thanks for being on the show. Before we sign off, people want to get in touch with you or uh, have questions or just connect with you on social media. What are, what are the best ways for people to connect? I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me. My name is Jeff Love. Feel free to email me, jlove at gibbsgiddon.com. And you can check out my website that has phone number and more information about me. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show, Jeff, and everyone else who's tuning in. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.